those of you who've read through the scriptures, there are numerous names that are given to God and Jesus, each one describing a unique facet of the divine nature and Christ's relationship to us as individuals and humanity as a whole. Join us today as we start our new series called Prince of Peace right now. Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor here at Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And as always, so thankful that you are joining us today. We believe that you are where you need to be, and we are praying that God will give you a reason, a purpose of why he has you where you are. Uh, I don't really understand it all the time, but every year about this time, I start getting this urge to experience certain things again. Like, I want to change the pace and pattern of my life. I, I want to be with friends and, and family. I, I want to smell the fragrance of a pine or a fir tree in the living room. Even though we put up an artificial one every year, I still want that smell, right? I, I want to drink hot chocolate or hot apple cider, mainly hot apple cider. That's kind of my thing. And, and eat good food, of course, right? I got to eat food. And think about good memories and dream about happy times to come. But above all, I want to feel close to God. And I don't think it's just me. I really don't. In fact, I would ask uh, those of you who are listening, uh, who feels these things this time of year, right? I think we all do, don't we? I think that somewhere just inside our skin is this thing that wants hope, warmth, and security. I think it's part of the human condition and triggered by the, the changing of the seasons. And more than anything during this series, I, I want to help us kind of get a little closer to that hope, warmth, and security. And I don't know any better way for that to happen than for us to look piece by piece at the gift God brought to earth when he delivered his son from the womb of a woman in a stable in Bethlehem. Because if you would really understand who God wants to be in your life, imagine how that would change you, give you clarity, courage, understanding, and hope. And on a side note, I think those are things that people everywhere have always wanted. I think that's why God couldn't wait. He couldn't wait to write down the text of Isaiah 9-6 so many years ago. I think he couldn't wait to tell folks about how wonderful his son would be to them when he finally came to earth. So instead of just announcing it a day or, or two beforehand, 700 years before Jesus was born, God chose a prophet, a man that, that was very near and dear to him, and he told him, Isaiah, write this down and tell people about it. Here's what my son is going to be like. He's going to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace to you all. Because so many people needed the clarity, courage, understanding, and of course that hope. God began announcing the news about his son 700 years before he ever arrived. How's that for some excitement, right? I hope you're excited about this 
Christmas season. We do the same thing, in fact, when I was a little guy, although I, I don't think I was ever little. Uh, I've always been a pretty big guy. Uh, my parents decided that we were going to go to uh, Worlds of Fun and Oceans of Fun and other things. They're located in Kansas City. They're an amusement park if you're not from the Midwest around here. Uh, and there was other things that we were going to do, but basically take a whole week uh, of vacation. And so we started planning that trip about six months in advance. And a few months ahead of time, because I was so excited, I started telling my friends about it, right? I would tell them, I'm going to miss a, a week of school to go to this Worlds of Fun and Oceans of Fun and all these other things. And, and I think I was actually more excited about missing school than actually seeing and going to Worlds of Fun and Oceans of Fun, honestly. But, but I was so excited. I just had to tell people months in advance about this. And so as early as 700 years ahead of time, God was getting so excited about the difference his son was going to make that he started telling his friends about it. The book of Isaiah was written about 700 BC, and we know from historical records that Isaiah lived from about 760 BC to 680 BC, and so it would have been right around that time. And, and so as I was thinking about that and looking upon that, it occurred to me that during these four weeks, the, during this series, uh, we're going to be looking at some words that tie us into an historic flow with spiritually sensitive people over the last 27 centuries. Wow, right? That's amazing. So let's read our scripture uh, for our series. That's Isaiah 9-6. We're going to refer back to this every single week. Isaiah 9-6. It says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Some people who, who wonder how the Bible can be true read this passage, and, and when they learn that it was written 700 years before Jesus was born, and that the Israeli government has a copy of it on, at, on display at Tel Aviv for, from 100 years before Jesus was born, Okay. And they say, you mean the Bible spelled out 700 years ahead of time and that a child would be born who would be called the, God, that, the God's son, right? And bear the responsibility of, uh, of governing mankind. And then they find out that the Old Testament contains more than 300 other prophecies about Christ that are fulfilled in the New Testament. And most of them are far more explicit than this one. Often they switch their reasoning from how could the Bible be true? To how could the Bible not be true? Only God could be this accurate so far in advance. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And so today I want to walk you through the phrase for the next few minutes, that phrase of uh, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, in the hopes that you will never again look at a major scene without appreciating the wonder of the person who was in it. Isaiah didn't write his book in English, of course. He wrote it in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, wonderful counselor is Pele Yoetze. Pele means wonderful. But it goes beyond that. It's used dozens of times throughout the Old Testament, and it tends to mean a cut above or better than anyone else could expect to do. I love that, that term, a cut above, right? Because it usually describes something so great, only God can do it. Almost all the Bible Bible's references to Pele are referring to God. Job uses the word when he says that God performs wonders. That word wonders is Pele. That cannot be fathomed. Miracles that cannot be counted. Job 9.10 is where that comes from. 
And then David says this about God. He says, you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. That comes from Psalm 86.10, and that word marvelous is Pele. The yoetze means counselor. But in our day and age, when we think of a counselor, we usually picture someone sitting across the room, right, asking us things like, so how did you feel about that, right? <laughs> you know, and tell me more about your family growing up. Tell me about your mom and your dad, right? And then they're taking notes on us. Up until about 120 years ago, when the modern science of psychology was developed and Sigmund Freud came along and he went out and got his patients a couch, right, counseling was a far different trade than it is today. Counselors weren't therapists. They were strategists. They gave people they were counseling advice on how to run a war or, or win a political campaign or organize a new business venture. Counselors didn't listen to your inner child. They gave advice to a king or other people of importance about the best course to take given whatever circumstances that they were facing. Yoetse, to give advice or to guide. That's what it means, to give advice or to guide. In Luke 19, Jesus set up a lunch appointment with a crusty old financially driven businessman, right? Named Zacchaeus. His, if you didn't read about Zacchaeus, you'll, you'll agree with me, okay? But during the lunch, uh, he helped Zacchaeus uh, see what the type of drive that he had was doing to the people around him. His counsel changed the course of Zacchaeus' whole life. It was a cut above. It was better than Zacchaeus could have expected from anyone else. In my early years, when I was far from God, I wasn't experiencing God's input or, or really any guidance in my life. But, but since that day that I invited Christ to play a leadership role in my life, uh, he has been a wonderful counselor to me. His guidance in my life has been a cut above. It's better than I could have expected from anyone else, including my wife. Including my wife. She has given me a lot of counsel, but none as great as Jesus He's counseled me on uh, about my mouth and the words that I let come out of it. Man, back in the day, I worked construction and things, and the things that would come out of my mouth, I'm so glad he's counseled me on that. Uh, he's counseled me about my mind and the things that I let play in it, you know, things I do. Uh, counsels me daily about the handling of my personal life, right? How, do, how should I act and, and how should I behave, you know, and, and those types of things. Now, I will throw this in there, too. You know, he can give us all kinds of counsel, but we also have to listen to it. So that's the key. I've learned that if I'm not listening to it, it's not very great counsel. But man, when I listen to it, it's fantastic counseling. Okay. That's a key. Okay. A few years into Jesus's ministry, the writer Luke describes a run of wonderful counsel that Jesus dispensed to people one circumstance after another. In Luke 8, he says that Jesus restored a man's life who had been tormented by demons for a long period of time. And afterwards, as the man's mind is clearing and he's realizing what has happened to him, the Bible says something so obvious. I'm going to read it to you. It's from Luke 8, um, verse 38. It says, the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. That's what it says, right? Here's a guy whose whole life has just turned around. He's grateful, and he wants to soak up all he can from Jesus. So he begs Jesus, please, let me go with you. I'll carry your bags. I'll shine your shoes. I just want to be near you so I can testify that you've changed my life. You know, what would a normal teacher do in a situation like that? I, I think a normal teacher would immediately start thinking of all the additional things he could teach the student, right? And how helpful he could be to him. And, and conversely, how helpful it would be to have another bag toter along, right? To help, to help do setup and tear down. 
So, so most teachers would say, of course you can stay with me. In fact, that would, be, that would probably be the best place for you to be right now. But Jesus doesn't say that. Let's read what he says instead. Let's continue on in, in verse 38, chapter 8. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all the way through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. The man, uh, uh, then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him, pleading with him to come home with him. Okay, let's pause there for a moment. That's on verse forty-one, and I want you to try to imagine how this second guy, Jairus, must have been feeling. Okay, the text says he's a leader in his religious setting, so he's probably a fairly mature guy probably, you know, wields some power and authority in the circles he travels in, right? Some, he's probably a very um, well-respected guy, right? But he's helpless to help his daughter. Well, what does he do? He calls on the counselor, Jesus, right? And Jesus says he'll come. So now you're, you're Jairus, and, and you've got the counselor's full attention, and he's coming with you, and you're hoping uh, he's going to fix things. But you know there's not much time, right? So let's read on, starting verse 42, chapter 8. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Now, I hope you saw what just happened here. See, she is hoping against hope that, that Jesus is going to be able to fix her. So she works her way up through the crowd, reaches past a whole bunch of other people, and just gives a tug on Jesus' robe. She's hoping that it will get his attention, and maybe he'll turn around and see her and say, yes, what can I do for you, right? But before he can even turn around, she realizes she's been healed. Now, that's a touch above, right? Wouldn't you agree? You know, it's all that she could have hoped for, but as it doesn't stop there. I'm going to read on in verse, starting with verse 45. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. And when the woman realized that she had, could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, Jesus said to her, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, I think this is why Jesus stopped in the first place. He wasn't content with just healing the woman's body. He wasn't interested, uh, I'm sorry, I should say he was interested in her heart. He, he wanted to counsel her, right? He wanted to have some words with her so that she wouldn't wonder if, if her touching him had just been a coincidence. And he wanted to begin rebuilding her confidence after all these years of invalidation. And so he says, you did good. You express faith in me, and that expression heals you. Now as you go, don't just go with a healed body. Go with a healed heart, too. Go in peace. We all know when our heart is in a good place, it's peaceful, isn't it? And that's what he's saying. Go in peace. Did you see what Jesus is up to here? He's not just helping people. He's helping them at the cut above level, beyond what's expected. Meanwhile, Jarius, you thought I forgot about Jarius, is almost crushed with worry that they're not going to make it to his little girl in time. And in the next verse, his worst nightmare is realized. Let's read it, verse 49. While he was still speaking to her, 
a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Anybody want to call that guy a wonderful counselor? All right. Comes up to, to him and says, your daughter's dead. You better, you better not bother the teacher anymore. Right? That's just kind of horrible, you know? So the little girl died. What would you expect a normal counselor to do at this point? I'd expect him to say something on the lines of, you know, I am so sorry. I wish I could have done something to help you, or I wish I could do something now to help you. That would be counsel at the normal level, right? But what kind of counsel does Jesus give? A cut above. Let's read on, verse 50. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in uh, with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd slapped at him, right? Because they all knew he had, she had died. You know, that's, that's what I think how a lot of people react. What, what are you talking about? She's, she's dead. Well, then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. So Jesus, the well above average counselor says, one more thing, feed her, <laughs> right? We know at that point that she's a Southern Baptist person, right? We all know that, right? Uh, anyway, sorry, I had to say it. But it was a cut above counseling, right? Wouldn't you agree? 700 years before this ever happened, God peered forward in history and said, my son is going to be a counselor like no one has ever seen before. He is going to do things so well and so unexpectedly. I've got to tell people about this so that they can anticipate and watch when it happens and celebrate it after the fact. And that brings us to what we are doing for the next four weeks. We're getting ready to celebrate. My hope is that two things will happen for you as a result of listening to this podcast, okay? One is that for the, the next uh, 20 days or fewer, you won't look at a manger the way you did before. I hope that every time you see a manger, you'll think not just about a little baby, but a God growing up to be a wonderful counselor. And maybe while you're thinking about it, you can just pause and say, Jesus, thank you for being a wonderful counselor. And the second thing I'm hoping will happen for you is that every day from now until Christmas, okay, that, or, and I think beyond Christmas, that you will seek out the counsel of Jesus. And if you've never read his life story, I pray that you will start today with the Christmas story, the beginning of Luke, and you will find out what he has to say to people. Or if you already have a relationship with, with Christ, that you'll seek his counsel every day. Every morning when you get up, every time you may face a decision or a challenge, throughout your day, you'll say, Jesus, counsel me on this. Jesus, give me your perspective. Give me your advice. Direct me. Give me counsel on this. The only thing I want to close with this is just let you know that Jesus is our mighty counselor. Amen. This concludes another episode of Venture Podcast. And as always, we hope you enjoyed it. And as always, our hope is that you will join us next week as we discuss another name that is used for Jesus in our series called Prince of Peace. We'll talk to you soon. 
If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast and Chandler Acres Ministries, or you'd like to become a patron, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.